You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's happening, team? Hopefully you're doing good after this uh, whole Thanksgiving holiday. I know for myself, it was awesome. It was nice to like just just unplug, just chill out and like hang out with my pup, play some video games, you know, the fun stuff. But you are here to talk about independent music because that is what we care about. And uh, the more and more I am away from the whole show scenario, which obviously all of us are, I realize how important it is and how much it, it really builds like my identity and like seeing friends and oh, so much stuff. But anyways, the guest this week is Andy Franchere, who uh, I'm totally butchering his last name. I realize that I've never said it out loud, but Andy is an important person to me and many people in Southern California. He played in a band called Die Hard Youth. He currently plays in an amazing hardcore band called Ill Communication. He also played in a band called With or Without You. But uh, Andy, this is an interesting interview because Andy, for and he would agree with this, he is not a household name. And when I say household, like obviously none of us in the independent music community are uh, world famous by any stretch of the imagination. But Andy is the sort of person that... He, I think, is emblematic of a lot of people that exist across this country and, frankly, across the world to, you know, building scenes and putting stuff together in regards to, uh, you know, everything that they're passionate about. And I apologize if you hear my dog squeaking her toy because, you know, that's what dogs do. But so I wanted to have Andy on for a lot of different reasons. One, because his story is, uh, you know, very interesting and he is an interesting person in and of himself. But I, I do think that even if you do not know his bands, which, you know, many of you arguably don't, his story and his passion really bleeds through and is important to all of us to, you know, kind of remind ourselves like why we got into this stuff in the first place, why we feel like we need to contribute, why we feel like we need to care about this independent music scene so deeply and fervently. And, uh, you know, cause at a certain point you arguably should not care about it anymore. You know, you either age out or, whatever. But there are people that continue to do the work in building scenes and, you know, well into their adulthood. And I think it's really, really important because I know that I myself, I forget sometimes not only the role that I play, but then how important it is for people who are younger than me. I mean, because clearly I'm old. (laughs) If you're talking about independent youth culture, I am not the target market anymore. But it's still incredibly important to me. But anyways, that is why I want to have Andy on because I feel he was such an important part in uh, building the scene up in his local community, but then also kind of, you know, encouraging younger people. And it's just, it's it's a great story. So whew, I, I just get so excited about it. But you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to have feedback, love to hear from you. And uh, you can also tell other people about this podcast. I think that's really important for you to spread the word of this thing. I don't care about this thing becoming, you know, massive. I just care about the people that should know about it to know about it. And I've been hearing from a lot of you recently over email and uh, corresponding with, and it's just, it's meaningful to me. So I want you to know that it's not just like the, you know, rate, review, and subscribe thing. Cause like, I don't know, it just feels hollow after a while. It just, you know, this show's existed for over eight years and it will continue to exist regardless of how many people are listening to it. I'm just fortunate enough to know that, uh, you know, many of you are listening to it in the regular. So anyways, here's Andy. Okay. Uh, let's dive into this conversation and I love it.
I remember meeting you through our great mutual friend, Joey Cahill of 6131 Records. Yeah, and awesome. it, it, it was funny because he would like, even prior to meeting you, he was always like, you know, Andy's such a, you know, great guy. And just like, I think you guys will get along. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I know that we hadn't run across each other as of yet. And it was, uh, it was one of those things where I know you didn't intend yourself to be kind of viewed as such, but I know that many people view you as this person who not only is nice, but like, you're kind of this, you know, elder statesman, even though realistically, you know, you're whatever. I, I, I imagine you're probably in your mid 40s. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I'm 44, I think. Right, right. And I'm right. Yeah. And I, I'm 40. And so it's one of those things where it's like <laughs> even a few years difference is one of those things where people are like, oh, like, you know, this this person knows what they're talking about or whatever. So is it funny for you to kind of have that um uh, the the way that people view you is like you know the the godfather of Tehachapi hardcore. Like, is it is it funny for you, or is it just like, well, you know, it's cool, it's a compliment, I guess. Yeah, I, I think most of that came from just because, especially in Tehachapi, I was the the older guy. Um, my friends that kind of got me into hardcore kind of like moved on, fell fell off a little bit, had families and stuff. So, but I was like, oh, I still want to do this, so. I was running around. Everyone in the band was like probably like six to eight years younger than me. I think I was probably, I think Eric, the first drummer of Die Hard was like 15 and I was like 22, you know, so seven years older. That's true. That's that's why a lot of that came about. Like maybe I just look older too. Maybe everyone thought I was already 40 when I was like 20. (laughs) Sure. I guess I was kind of viewed as the leader, I guess, our godfather because kind of just rallied the troops and got them going and so, hey, we're all going to the show, like jump in the van and we show up with like 10, 15 kids. And they always just kind of, like, all right, let's go see what Andy's doing. You know, like, so kind of, I think that's why I really hadn't been in, wasn't like I was in hardcore, like way longer than you and Joey or all these other guys I was hanging out with. But I think they just, everyone kind of maybe thought that because I was a little bit older, but I really probably got into it same around, same time as all you guys. So Right, right. And I, I think it, I think too, what was always kind of endearing about that idea to me was the fact that you were and still are so open and encouraging uh, to, you know, like you said, (laughs) playing in a band with someone who's seven years younger than you, because some people, as you well know, have this kind of elitist attitude of being like, oh, you're the young person, you're stupid, you have no idea what you're talking about, which of course is true, but at the same time, that level of judgment could push a person away from, you know, actually getting in a scene and feel included and stuff like that. And you very much were the opposite of that. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I'm still that way. I still, whatever I'm doing, I like to get people involved and, and uh, just, yeah, I don't know. I find it, maybe that's just my personality. I'm, I'm positive, whatever. I mean, I'd like to try not to be so positive and be a, you know, when I think of in hardcore terms, like not so positive, but it's just what I am. You know, when I try to think about like, oh, I want to do a band that's like super gnarly and like negative, it still comes out like positive. Right. <laughs> Even my negative is still positive. So I think it's just my personality. It's how my dad is always just, you know, very positive dude. And I think that just rubbed off on me. And so being able to help people and facilitate, you know, going to shows and doing stuff was always just a 
something cool. I thought like, I, I think what, what I, hardcore is cool and going to show. So I thought, Hey, why not get as many people involved in it as possible? Mm-hmm. Where do you think that, I mean, like you said, you, your dad is positive, but where do you think, I guess that, um, inclusion comes from? Cause that's not instinctually everybody's, uh, either motive or personality to be like, Hey, everybody, you know, come along with this thing. You know, I mean, yes, of course, to a certain extent of like, yeah, I want to break my friends along, but your uh, attitude and your inclusion definitely seem to spread out beyond like, you know, even if you had just met a person, be like, oh, hey, like, you know, come along and do this thing. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, it reminds me of a story like I remember when like I, we snowboarded a lot in high school. We'd go just to the mountains up here and build jumps and stuff. And I remember what's I think it was like a no effects record came out and we were so pumped to have it, you know, this, this, and, uh, we were talking about it and some random guy walked up and was like, Oh, you guys like the new, no effects. And, and it was a kid. We didn't really care for it too much. And we're like, dude, that guy likes the same music as us. Like that sucks. Right. Then like later thought about it and I was like, you know, actually like, that's pretty cool. And like, kind of like next time I saw the dude, I'm just like, yo, what's up, man? Like, and we started talking music and like, not that we became best friends, but just like, it was like, we had a, a common bond, even though I didn't really, care for the dude too much just because other stuff he did but it's like hey we have this common bond it's kind of cool to to bond over these certain things and just so i I don't know if i took that with me and just from then on out was like you know something's cool why not share it instead of hide it you know i know i know a lot of people are like that with bands and stuff like i want to be the first one to discover you know i I got that american nightmare demo before you did and it's like okay but like why, why not dub it for me and give it to me and then we can both be pumped and like so i've always taken that road of just being like hey i got this and it's cool like everybody check it out like so much junk out there like in the world to be negative about so why not just you know if you find something cool share it with people right so that's I know do my MO and I don't know where that came from to be honest just I right I guess I guess I look at it like hopefully if someone else got something cool they'll share it with me and then I won't be left in the dark and missing out on something cool like you know sure and, and it's weird too because well I, it's not weird but um your um as long as I've known you, your enthusiasm, you know, cuts through, but you're understated. Like, you know, I, and I, I look that in comparison to myself, like I'm just, you know, like a pretty loud goofball and, you know, yes, you're like, you know, goofy and loud as well, but not to the same extent. And so I think that, um, your, uh, I guess subdued enthusiasm. I don't even know if that's like, <laughs> that's something that you could say, but like, but I think that people kind of, look at that towards you and be like, Oh, like if Andy's into it and like, he seems like he's, you know, uh, like you said, are, are, are interested and willing to share, you know, that, that may attract people too, because it's not like you're trying to shove it down their throat or whatever. Yeah. I've, I've never been one to push my beliefs on anybody. That definitely comes from my parents too. And my friend's parents, who I grew up with across the street, my, basically my whole life, we, we hung out and both of our parents were always, very cool on just being like, yo, this is what we believe this and you know, and the things that we believe don't push on other people, you know, don't judge other people because they're different than you and uh and don't push your beliefs on them. Like that's I mean that's always been a big thing to me. It's like, you know, people like, oh you're this or that, you know, whatever. I I grew up going to church and stuff and still do, but I never would judge someone that doesn't or push a belief on somebody or, you know, so um uh, that's kind of always just been my thing is in the subdued thing, I think is definitely uh, there. I mean, there's guys at work that I've worked with for 
like 20 years. And just recently with the, you know, the, the big boom of social media, they're like, Oh, you're in a band, like coming up from this, like, Oh, you're crazy, man. I never thought that. Cause I work them to super mellow chilling out, you know? So. Right. Uh, yeah. Might be a little bit what you're talking about being subdued. Like I don't get up and, you know, I, I hate talking at work in front of people and giving classes and stuff, but then, you know, go to, to a show and it's like totally different, you know? Right. Yeah. Different, different circumstances. Um, put, putting the focus on you as a person, were you actually born and raised in Tehachapi or where did you come up? Yeah. Yeah. I was born and raised in Tehachapi. Um, lived there pretty much my whole life. Joined the air force when I was 19. I went to, I was actually stationed up in Sacramento. Uh, it's a base called Beale between Sacramento and Chico and, um, lived there for about three years. Uh, went a couple of different places while I was in the air force and then moved back. I lived in Bakersfield for about a year when I first got married and went through the fire Academy. So I've been here a long time, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and describing to Hatchapi, um, you know, is, is difficult. For, well, I mean, it's difficult for people to understand because most people are just like, well, what is to Hatchapi? <laughs> you know, like what, what, where is that? Um, so you know, kind of walk me through, I guess your experience, uh, you know, from a childhood, um, to kind of, you know, the, just the, I guess the makeup of Tehachapi, cause I mean, realistically it's kind of, you know, a random desert town kind of in the middle of nowhere, but there's a, um, you know, a lot of people live there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a small town. I can't remember the population. And there's actually, there's Tehachapi proper. And then there's what they call, uh, Stein Springs and Bear Valley, which are basically included in Tehachapi, but they're like little kind of sub communities. But even with all those, it's still a small population. Uh, we're kind of up in the mountains, surrounded by desert. Uh, get snow and rain. Um, yeah, small town. When I, when I was a kid, there was no stoplights. They had one flashing red light that flashed in four directions. And now, you know, like I remember, like I think I was um, maybe like a freshman or eighth grade when they got their first legit stoplight. You know, no, like it was a huge deal when McDonald's came. So and and. Taco Bell and still like we just got a Walmart like a year ago and I mean so it's that size of a town it's gr- it's growing there's a there's a prison out here so a lot of like prison guards work here and then um there's not a lot of like um there's a lot of wind farms that's what you said there's a lot of wind farm people that mm-hmm. do windmills and solar and then uh people that maintain those so that's the big like industry out here is the prison and, and the wind farm stuff, the, so, the solar energy stuff. Um, small town though. I mean, I, yeah, not much to do growing up. Um, definitely no places to go to shows around here. Um, there were, I, if there are bands, I didn't know about them when I was a kid. Um, right. Like no record stores. Uh, so. What's your, uh, the, the family makeup? Are you an only child and brothers and sisters? I got a, I got a, one, one sister, a real sister, and my parents kind of one took on adopted another another sister um, through just whatever they, they they when I went to the Air Force, I kind of came home and they're like, hey, this is Jenny, and she's staying with us for a while, and just kind of been part of the family ever since. Um, and then mom and dad uh, still live in the same house I grew up in. Nice. So very um, kind of what you would uh, define as a uh, typical suburb. Uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess you'd call Tehachapi the suburb. Like, obviously, yeah. it's not a big city. Um, so kind of a typical suburban upbringing, as you would say. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, nothing like, you know, I didn't have to fight my way to school or, you know. Uh, right. Way, you know, I didn't have a, definitely 
didn't have a hard life growing up. What were your uh, parents doing for a living? Uh, my dad's a fireman, um, retired a couple years back. Uh, and then my mom was, uh, most of the time growing up, she didn't have a job, kind of helped out around school and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And she eventually uh, became li- the librarian at the high school and did that until she retired. Oh, nice. So were you going to high school as she was a librarian? Uh, she was, she was uh, like kind of volunteering a couple days a week then, like just mm. like, as an assistant, I, I can't remember what they call the position, but she just, she just come in and help out. So I'd see her there like one or two days a week. Got it. And got I, it. And then after I left probably a year or two after I graduated is when she finally took over full time. Nice. Um, and so what kind of kid did you find yourself being like, were you, you know, gravitated towards sports? Like what, uh, you know, how did you start to, I guess, build your own identity as you were going through junior high and high school and stuff like that? Yeah, I grew up, uh, I mean, I don't know, even know why, like my dad didn't really, he think he played like football when he was in high school and stuff, but, uh, he grew up in Whittier and you know, like had to get chased to school and stuff. And, you know, like he, he had a little bit, uh, of that old, you know, and lived in a bad neighborhood kind of vibe, but, um, he, yeah. So I don't know, like we, but I played sports, I played basketball and soccer pretty much my whole life. And then when I got to high school, I had to pick which to play. And so I, I chose soccer. Um, a lot of the stuff growing up, I said, I mentioned that my neighbors across the street, they're three brothers. Um, we've been friends since we were like, basically I was born or they were born. So we're still friends. You know, I just hung out with one of them last night. So everything I did was with them and we skateboarded and snowboarded and, um, got into trouble, did fun things, you know, we had yeah. share stuff, you know, sneaking around. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah. And you know, what? uh, and I had other buddies that went to youth group, at a at a church here, would go do hang out there and do that. You know, it's kind of, kind of a small town, not a lot of things to do. So you go to youth group, and there's it was like a hangout. There's like 50 kids, you know, and we'd like go to youth group, and then we'd go like box each other, like I don't know, some kind of <laughs> yeah, silly stuff. You know, looking back, and it's like it was fun for us, but you know, we didn't have anything other things to do. We, there was no like mall to hang out at, or um, you know, you're just experimenting with. I mean, not even experimenting. You were just like. Oh, here literally is something to do. So let's yeah. do it. Yeah, trying to make that, you know, eat. and now, you know, I, when we talk to friends and hang out and stuff, it's like, and I see a lot of my wife works at the high school. It's like kids are either, you know, teen attached. We at one time had the highest teen pregnancy rate in the country. All there was to do was to hook up and do drugs. We would say, you know, like, and luckily right. me and my friends didn't fall into that. And we were able to find other more productive things to do because that's the other side of it. Right. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, you can easily see the, uh, that notion of, uh, you know, small town, not much to do like boredom. And then obviously it goes down the road of, you know, being addicted to drugs and like, you know, because people are just like, I don't, I, I don't know what else to do except, you know, hang out in a field and, you know, drink or whatever. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so, uh, I, you know, I find it interesting because honestly, I did not know that you went to the uh, the Air Force. And so w- what kind of compelled you to do that? Because I imagine you started to discover um, independent music and stuff like that, like in high school. And, you know, clearly there is a <laughs> undercurrent of pushing against, you know, authority and uh, all that sort of stuff. And so it wouldn't seem like a logical leap to reason that like, Oh, the air force w- is the place that, you know, Andy could uh, find himself or whatever. Walk me through that. Yeah. So, I mean, like growing up, um, I, I mean, I kind of always, I'm um, be a fireman when I grow up, you know, we, uh, 
everyone asks, what do you creepy when you grow up, Andy? Um, I'm be fireman. My dad did that. That's kind of, there was never even another, I think for a minute I wanted to be like a, a mailman. I just thought that was a cool job to walk around. listening. Right. To so, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, still, it still sounds cool. Yeah. Right. yeah. No, um, and so my, my, one of my, my, my friend from across the street, one of the Kingsbury's, he, uh, he, right when he graduated, we, we grew up wanting to be fireman. His dad was a fireman too. Um, so when he graduated, he got married right away and, and joined the air force and became a fireman in the air force. So, and I'm like, Oh, that's one option. And, and, uh, I went to college for a year, junior college. And I, man, I did like close to 40 units in one year. And, and I was like, man, the school sucks, dude. I'm like, I don't want to do like college. It's not that fun. So I, Tyson had come home on leave and, uh, we talked about all this stuff and he's, you know, explaining all those certificates he had and what he was doing at his, you know, he was now like a fireman for the air force. And so I was like, I oh, mean, that sounds pretty good as you that or be on a hand crew, which the hand crews around here are the ones that, you know, go on the big forest fires and hike around all day. And, and I was like, man, I don't want to do that either. So I decided that I'm like, I'm going to join the air force and get all this stuff for my career. It wasn't like I was enlisting to, to serve my country and do my duty, which, you know, I guess it is a little bit, but it was mm-hmm. more a means to an end of, to my, my main goal in life was to get a job as a fireman. So. Got it. Got it. I, I, I didn't, uh, I mean, it makes sense when you explain it like that. I just didn't, um, I didn't know that, that, uh, I guess is one path or trajectory. Um, you know, I, I kind of always thought it was one of those things where you, um, you know, you, you went through the firefighting program of your, you know, local state or county or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I didn't know that the air force could equip you to do that as well. Yeah. I mean, you still, so when I got out of the air force, I, I had, you know, five years of experience, you know, my resume was, was definitely padded. And so, uh, then you get out and you start taking tests everywhere. Um, like I know you talked to Nate, I think it was Nate from Zillaba. Yeah. Zabalba. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, and he, and he was doing a different route. Yeah. Doing like being a, you know, a, kind of a seasonal fireman from what I take, like where you go and you, you work at the station and, and you do stuff. And so there's definitely different routes to do. And, uh, yeah. The, the county here doesn't have that program that like Nate was doing. But, um, so I was like either going to go on the hand crew or, uh, yeah. And I, I was already going to college, taking fire science classes and stuff for an academy and all that. And so there's definitely different ways to do it. And that's just kind of the way I decided to do it. Um, if anyone has any <laughs> questions on that, they could hit me up, email me, whatever. And I'll tell you 20 different ways to become a fireman to help you out, you know, like, so I'm excited to tell you about an extremely heavy record that just came out from a band called Within the Ruins. The record is called Black Heart that just came out this past Friday, the 27th of November. And this thing's heavy, man. Like I'm going to play you a snippet of one of their songs and it will get you in the mood for checking out the whole record because I believe that this thing, this is their sixth full length. They've been doing this for a while and they are the real deal. And I think they're firing off all cylinders in this record. So let's check a little bit of it out and then I'll talk to you in a moment.
Okay. Heavy, right? Like heavy, proggy, like they got a lot of stuff going on. And I, the fact that these guys are in so deep to their career and are still creating really, really progressive music is, uh, is, is heartening because sometimes bands just, you know, kind of dial it in after a while. But these guys within the ruins are not one of those bands. So like I said, you can stream this and buy this wherever you consume music and you need to check it out. It's called Black Heart. The band is called Within the Ruins and just, just get heavy with it. Okay. So thank you very much to E1 for releasing this record and for supporting this very show. Those, uh, you know, a job of a firefighter, and we'll talk a little bit later specifically about your experience, but, um, you know, that like clearly is a risky profession. And like, did you ever have that notion in your head, like as you were watching your dad do it of like, oh, well, you know, that's like that, that's, I'm scared that I could lose my father that way. Or was it just one of those things where it's like, well, you know, he's safe and he's doing it. Then, um, you know, that's just kind of the, the risk of the job. Yeah, you know, I, I never, looking back, I never really thought like, oh, I might not see my dad again, you know, and I guess there's definitely that possibility, but, um, right. and I, and maybe that's just the frame of mind that are the kind of different mindset that someone that wants that job has that you just kind of like, I don't go to work and I mean, that's on my mind at all times, um, you know, Hey, we got, I got to get everybody home, you know, like the guys I'm with or whatever. Um, but when we were doing emergencies, you know, but I never think like, man, I better, I might not see my family again. You know, I, I, maybe you just can't think that way. You know, like I want, I wonder like what the Navy SEAL guys think in their head. Like those guys really, every time they go do something, you know, they really, they might get killed where our job is definitely dangerous, but it's not as crazy as that or being a cop, you know, like every time you pull someone over, maybe that person might shoot you for no reason. So people are out to get them, you know? And, uh, so I guess my mindset is just different. I don't, I don't think about that. Like in those right. terms, and I never really do with my dad either. Just like, okay, see you in a couple of days. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's part, it's part of your life. So you understand, like, you, I guess you maybe subconsciously understand it, but you're not actively thinking about it, you know, like, yeah, yeah, probably, right. Yeah. Just yeah. Like you can't dwell on it or you'll, you probably will mess up or, you know, you'll, you'll screw something up or yeah. you focus on that. Yeah. And so did, uh, I'm going to presume, did independent music kind of come into your life like during high school and kind of what was the, uh, I guess the gateway for you? Yeah. I mean, as, as a, as a young kid, like 10 or 11, we, we skateboarded and that's when skateboarding was massive, you know, Tony Hawk and all that, um, like super mainstream. And that's when I first remember, like, I don't really necessarily remember hearing punk music then, but I remember seeing the tapes and stuff like, the dead Kennedys and suicidal tape and looking at the name of it and just being like, man, my mom would never let me have that tape, you know, just because of the name. Of the right. Um, I do remember hearing uh, the Beastie Boys license to ill. We were all skateboarding in our uh, street, the launch ramp we had and the, the older kids, my buddy's sisters had a bunch of older friends. So they'd come and hang out and play music, you know, and I, I remember sitting and just listening to it and being like, well, these guys are crazy, you know, and I, I do like, and the guy actually made me a tape of that license, the ill on one side and violent films on the other, I had to hide it, you know, and like play it in my little, uh, Walkman. So I, to me, that was my first experience with like, I guess the independent music. And then from there, there's no record store in Tashby. We couldn't drive to Bakersfield yet to where there's actually like stores to buy music. So we kind of just, listen to whatever we get our hands on. And that was mostly just like radio pop. And then yeah, in high school is when we started uh, our friends from uh, 
Ojai, California, which you know you've been to Ojai's women's women's club. Uh, the Kingsbury's parents grew up there in Ojai, and so they had friends there still. So we'd go hang out there. This is way back before you know the women's club, and we'd go skateboard, and hang out with them, and somehow they were already into punk rock. They're ahead of us on all that stuff, the the Fat Records and the you know Operation Ivy and all the the punk that was going on then in, in like the early nineties, mid nineties when we we're in high school. So that's kind of when we started getting into like punk and you know the I guess the independent music. Sure, sure. From it, from those guys more because like I said we didn't have like and they'd probably been to shows and stuff and we were like shows what the heck like no we don't have that you know like, yeah like I remember going to a, like a house party once and a band played and it was like in Tatchby but it wasn't punk music you know it was like they're trying to sound like Soundgarden or Pearl Jam kind of like a rock band you know and it's like nah whatever you know like it's cool to see live music but it wasn't like oh man this should happen all the time and people weren't like moshing and circle pitting like there's no like wasn't really fun it was just kind of like happening so right right and and i presume because of that like there was no context for you in regards to like what a scene was or anything like that it was just kind of like it was just music kind of you knew that it wasn't played on the radio but you there was no there's nothing else uh placing it firmly in your head of like oh this is where things can happen yeah yeah no i'm i think in high school we went to a couple shows at jerry's pizza just because a kid that we knew had a band that played there and like I think we went there and like saw some kids like slam dancing so we're like yeah this is cool and slam dance a little bit but even then we didn't have a we didn't know like oh this is something you can do all the time like there's a scene and like a this is kind of like a thing to do it was just like oh our friend's band's playing let's go watch them and we'll slam dance and talk about it you know because we were all by this time in high school we were all skateboarders again and and then uh that's when skateboarding was kind of counterculture like more punk, you know, like skateboarding is not a crime was the big like sticker you had on your board, yeah, your right. car. Cause like, you know, everywhere you went, you got chased by the cops and you're skateboarding, you know, and that, so it was and that, that kind of tied into punk rock. So like we'd see kids with punk rock shirts and we'd talk to them and most of the skater kids had punk rock shirts by then, you know, and that's when we could drive to Bakersfield and buy Thrasher magazines and Transworld and they'd talk about bands and have, you know, CDs in there sometimes, little comp, little cheesy comps and stuff. So, by that time, we still didn't know like there was this like music scene. You know, we just knew like oh, punk music's cool. And we were getting into it, but right, no yeah, you were idea. you were built you were building all of like hey, I, these are the bands that I like. These are this is the music that I like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you said you were uh, in the Air Force for five years. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And so that puts you obviously in kind of like your mid twenties. As you, uh, I presume, you came back to to Hatchby after that, right? Yeah, so I got out. Well, so, so my first three years, I was in, at Beale Air Force Base up by Sacramento, I said. And um, and then the last two years, I was, well, like a year and a half, part of that, six months of that, I was in Kuwait. And uh, I was at Edwards by Tatchby. And I ended up, when I got back from um, Kuwait, I moved to Tatchby and got an apartment with some buddies and just lived here and I would just drive to work. Okay, got it. And this may sound like a really just simple or stupid question, but like, was the, the air force seems hard. Like, was it, was that a hard experience or was it, um, like, how do you, I guess, how do you reflect on it? Uh, I mean, so anyone that wants to go into the military that listens to your podcast, which, you know, is like you said, is weird for people to be in a punk rock and join the military, but it, but it happens, you know, it like does, that. it does. 
So, um, and it's a means to an end, dude. You can get a job. You can, you can like I said, my, I tell a lot of people like, you know, you, joining the military could be the best thing in your life. You could join it. You could miss responsibility, get some money, or you could just have a job and, and, and more money to screw up. Because if you live in the dorms, you could get wasted every day off and do all kinds of dumb stuff. And, and now you have the money to do it, you know, and, it, and they give you a place to live. So, right. <laughs> but, uh, I, the air force is the easiest branch. Like boot camp was like, I don't want to say it was fun, but like, it's a game, dude. I mean, and, and maybe that's just like in my, my mentality of looking at it, like, Mm-hmm. You know, I was expecting it to be like full metal jacket, you know, like <laughs> right, right. By the end of it, I almost wanted it to be because it was like they, you know, we did, they were never telling me drop and give me twenty push ups or you know, it was just that part of it was was pretty easy. And then uh, I'm looking back on it, was like you know, like that yeah, wasn't that bad. And then once I got out of that and I went through fire school and I was at the base, I was just kind of a, a fireman basically on on a base, which bases are very slow when it comes to like fire emergencies and medical emergencies. Um, but the, the, the thing I didn't like about the military is that they control your life. Like, and so they basically like, they tell you, Hey, be here tomorrow at, you know, Oh, 500 with your bags packed. We're shipping out to, you know, Kuwait or Egypt. You show up and they go, Hey, we're just kidding. Uh, we're just practicing. Go ahead and go home. <laughs> that kind of control they have on your life is, is, I, I didn't like it, you know, and like my job controls my life now to some extent, you know, like, Hey, I gotta be at work and do things. But like, they're not telling me like, Hey, come here tomorrow and you're gonna be gone for the next year. So that, that part of it. And I think all, all branches have that where they're like, Hey, guess what? You're, you know, you're going to Afghanistan for a year. Um, if you're going to join the military, I guess you should be ready for that. But I, I didn't like it. Um, that, that, yeah. that's really, by the end I was burnt on that. Cause I came to Edwards and I was here for like, are there for like a month and they, Hey, you're going to Kuwait for six months. And I was like, what? I just got here. So that really, uh, you know, uh, I never planned on staying in 20 years. I wanted to do my time and get out with my, and, and, and move on. But it wasn't hard physically, but the mental, I think part of it was hard just knowing how much control they had over me. Sure. Yeah. I can understand where that's the, uh, the, the taxing part of it is just the fact, the, uh, level of uncertainty uh you know beyond just the the normal trappings of what you're talking about of just like you know what you do on a day-to-day basis with your job like there is some you know stability in regards to that as opposed to you know what you were going through where it's like oh yeah this is what's happening tomorrow and you're going halfway across the world it's like oh geez okay well i guess this is what we're doing yeah 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 and uh, so you know once you started like once you came back and, you know, obviously started were more of an adult than you were when you went in and, uh, you know, had a l- obviously more freedom to, you know, travel around and start to, you know, experience more of what life has to offer. Uh, it, it, did you kind of immediately have the idea that like, yes, like once hardcore became more apparent to you that you like wanted to be in a band and you wanted to contribute, like walk, walk me through that, that process of you wanting to be, you know, more involved. Yeah. So, so basically how I got into like hardcore per se is I went to boot camp and, and then uh, a fire school academy and came back. And during that time, the the brothers that lived across the street, they had been hanging out with our buddies from Ojai. And that's where uh, this dude Zarian, um, he sings in Charman now. So go check out Charman if you get a chance, a little shout out, but uh Anyways, he, he had moved out from Boston and he, and he lived with those guys or lived in Ojai. 
And uh, there was this whole crew of dudes, which I'm sure you've seen them or heard of them. But um, back in the day, they were around and um, Ryan and BJ, the brothers from across the street, were hanging out with them. And they came back and like, yo, like we're straight edge, dude. I'm like, all right, what's that? You know, I, I didn't even know what that was. And so they started talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but like, like we're going to the show. And I think we went to uh, the living room of Santa Barbara. Kind of was all a blur. So we went to the living room of Santa Barbara. Um, right. Went to a show, hung out. We ended up uh, going and seeing, I think it was Tenured Fight because Zarian was friends with them from Boston. And it was like seeing kids mosh and do stuff. And it was like, yo, this is really cool. You know, and said, I, I was in the Air Force, I had money. So I was like, I'm going to buy these CDs. They're cool. You know, and, and, um, the show in, in Santa Barbara had Ignite played, and I'm like, yo, that band was really cool because they're a little bit more melodic and maybe Countervale or 1134. There was, there was a heavy band that played, mm-hmm. and I was like, no, that's not for me. Like at that time, you know. And so basically, that was my intro into hardcore. Um, and I would I would come home and hang out with from Sacramento, and like I'd have a couple of days off, I'd come and hang out, and um, we'd go to shows. I I do remember when Ten Yard Fight came out um, on their must have been their first tour going to like almost every show with, with the Ohio guys and, and, and my buddies from Tatchby. And that's when I'm like, yo, this is like a thing. And I was seeing all of these kids and, and they all knew kids already from Oxnard and LA and stuff. And, and, um, so that's when I kind of knew like, Hey, this hardcore thing's cool. And I started searching it out and I started going to shows by myself up in, uh, like I'd go to Berkeley, I'd go to San Francisco, Sacramento. So I would just like, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about now, like, I would just go to these shows, dude, like, uh, by myself. And, everyone, and then eventually I met a dude in the air force who would, who wanted to go to shows with me. So, but for a long time, I would just go to shows by myself. And the thing that really, uh, sucked me into hardcore is like, dudes were just being cool to me, you know, like legit, like, uh, like Mikey hood, which he's the craziest dude ever. But, uh, yes. he just walked up to me one day and was like, yo man, I've seen you around a couple of shows, blah, blah. And like, yeah, dude, start talking to me. And so every time I go to a show after that, I'd see him and he'd just be, what's up, man? Like, I'm sure he didn't know my name or even, might not even remember who I was at the time, but like, he was always friendly. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like people are just like nice. And and it, and it was like, it was like, and everyone was welcome, especially at Berkeley at the time. Like that's, there's, you know, big Mohawk dudes and, and uh, straight edge dudes and, and, you know, and everyone's hanging out together. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. So that's where I really got into like the whole vibe of like, hardcore and like wanting to be part of a scene, you know? And I'll, here's a funny story is that, uh, so me and me and the, one of the brothers, Ryan Kingsbury, we're like, yo, let's start a band. And I'm like, okay. We're like, none of us know how to do anything. Ryan's like, I'm going to sing. It's like, I'll play bass. We'll find a kid to play the guitar and drums. And I'm like, all right, well, we need a name. And Ryan's like, we'll be like, like we'll be diehard youth from the seven second song. I'm like, all right, cool. So that's kind of where the name came from. Got it. So we, uh, and, and, and at this time, youth crew was big, you know, like there's all the varsity jackets were around and we're looking at all the, you know, the, the rev record stuff, the youth of the day, and everyone's got these jackets and, and alleyway crew and stuff. And we're like, all right. So like we made sweatshirts and shirts that said diehard youth crew on them with little rap bones on the sleeve. And we're like, that's our logo. And like, we had it all planned out and we even made these shirts where like, we took fake pictures of me and Ryan, like I had a bass in my hand and he was like, had a microphone and like, we're like jumping around and made these like cheesy shirts that are like some people still got them. It's before there was even a band. So <laughs> that's incredible. We had these like fake shirts and these youth crew shirts. And 
so I was wearing one at, at a show at, at a, at a, the, the Coco Dream in San Francisco and, uh, and, and Mikey Hood, would be, oh, that shirt's dope, man. I'm like, oh, I'll get you one if you want one. Yeah, I want one. So I gave him one. And then, then this is weird. Like one day, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever remember this, but Davey Havoc was like, hey, man, I like your shirt, which I knew who Davey Havoc was. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like this is the dude, man. Like the, <laughs> yeah. if I was big, like shut your eyes, uh, shut your mouth, open your eyes. It just came out and was like, whoa, man. Like he was the, like I knew who he was just from a distance, you know, like this is, yep. you know, Davey Havoc. And I seen him a bunch. Um, like, yeah, dude, of course, you know, so I, you know, I, I, the next time I came to the show, I had a little backpack with like a shirt in there for, for Mikey Hood and a shirt for Davey Havoc and, and I've given a couple more away just to random people and like kind of that, you know, kind of had little friendships going, you know, and like, like, oh, cool, you know, like, and everyone was cool and liked the shirts and wore them and like, so kind of a funny story though of how the name came about for Die Hard Youth was that, and then, yeah, eventually I moved back to Tashby and, um, uh, yeah, I was like, yo, I'll start a band, dude. And, and at this time, I, I had asked Ryan, like, hey, dude, like, you still going to do this? Should we do, you know, like, not that we were ever a band. You know, we talked about it, made these shirts and stuff, but nothing ever came about it. And uh, when I got back to t- into town, I, yeah, randomly, I can't remember how I met those kids. With they, the, the guys from Die Hard Youth had a band, a pop punk band. And, like, uh, I was like, yo, you guys want to play this other music? And they, they kind of heard <laughs> some of it, and they're like, yeah, dude. And so basically we just kind of set up and we're like, yeah, we, we, we practiced and wrote a couple songs. And like at first that, so for that band, even better, better stories that the, that band was called new thugs on the block. <laughs> and, oh, that's so good. <laughs> and uh, We did, we had a couple songs, a couple covers and we're like, yo, let's, so my, we did a show in my parents' backyard. Like we built this little stage out of like a uh, pallets and stuff. And we had another friend's band who was kind of hardcore. Like they covered corn. Like, I don't know, like, so they came and played and like people came and watched and super funny. You know, it was like 30 kids there, all just a bunch of friends, just like random hung out. And then we're like, yo, that was really cool. Like, let's do a band for reals. I'm like, okay, cool. So that's when we were like, we got to figure out a name. And uh, so we changed the name to Die Hard Youth and we played one show at, at the high school. Like they did this like battle of the bands kind of thing. Right. And, um like I was, and that's when I found out I was going to Quake, and I'm like, dude, like, dang, I gotta go to Quake in like two weeks, dude. And they're like, well, let's do one this one last show, and when you come back, we'll like write these songs and do this stuff. And so, um, yeah, we played this like <laughs> Battle of the Bands. I I don't think it was a Battle of the Bands, it's just like a show. Like, it was yeah, probably band. like a ta- probably like a talent show. Yeah, like, but it was only like these like like I said, this couple of punk bands played. Um, and it was only bands, and then uh, like when we played, like we rigged it up to where like this DMX music came on, like the lights turned off and like, we like walked down like, like, like MMA fighter style, like down this like aisle thing with like this <laughs> DMX music playing. And like, then we played and like, and by this time kids have figured out like there's moshing and, you know, I don't think you could stage dive, but moshing and circle pitting and like a little bit, you know, a lot of slam dancing. And like, so we played that show and like all our friends just went crazy and had fun, you know? And then that's kind of where the, like, Oh, when I get back from Kuwait, we're going to do this. And so while I was gone, I came back and those guys had kind of wrote some songs. And then we just, from there, we, let's do a demo and, and play some shows and just started hustling after that. Band merch is incredibly important to me. And it's probably important to you. Let's be honest. The holidays are like literally upon you. You need to buy band merch from rockabilly.com to be the 
hero or heroine of your uh, your holiday get together. I was going to say party, but we're not having parties. So Rockabilia is the place that sells you all of the legitimate, authorized, non-bootleg, high quality. The bands get paid on every single piece of merch that is sold through there. And that's really important for you to know. So use this code PC100Words that gets you 15% off your order. And I love this company for not only giving a discount, but existing for 20 plus years within the independent music community. They support artists in a real, real way. And I love that about them. And you can dive onto their website and you can get lost for hours in there. And I don't mean that in a bad lost way. I mean that in a, oh my gosh, I have like $200 worth of items in my cart. And uh, now I have to kind of figure out which ones I need. But trust me, use this code PC100Words, 15% off your order. Have fun and buy merch for all of your holiday needs, okay? Thank you, as always, Rockabilia, and support them, and you will support the show in turn. I, I like it, too, because the, um, you know, usually you're doing this, you know, between the ages of whatever, like 16 to, you know, your early 20s or something like that. But I just, I, I love the fact that, you know, like everyone was, you know, adultish and obviously had these other obligations, but like there was still this drive where it's like, Oh yeah, we still like want to do it. Like, of course, like, you know, oh, oh yeah, I got to leave for six months and go to Kuwait. But like when I come back, I, I want to play in a hardcore band. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. The, the guys in the band were all, I, I think I must have been 21, 22 and they were 14 to 18 probably. So they, they okay. were at the right They time. were young. I, I right. was just the old one. Right. <laughs> I was just past my prime. I just, I was a late bloomer. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so did you, like you, you know, mentioned at the top of the conversation, you being the kind of, you know, center of attention talking in front of people, like that's not a, uh, environment in which you're comfortable with. So was it difficult for you to, you know, kind of get up and, uh, for lack of a better term, perform on stage, or was it just like, no, this is like, this is fun. And this is a quote unquote natural environment. Yeah. You know, I, I think about all the time, cause yeah, I definitely like if they were to say, Hey, get up on stage and give a talk on this, even something I'm super knowledgeable on. I, I would probably mess up. I'm pretty self-conscious about that and be like, have a hard time. But like when it came to with the music and stuff, and maybe because it was like a, a group, you know, like I'm not, it's not like I'm up there acapella, you know, and there's a whole, you know, like maybe in my mind at first it was like, Oh, they're not just looking at me. They're looking at everybody. And I'm just the one, you know, my instrument is my voice or whatever. And they're playing bass and guitar. But, uh, yeah, I've never had a, I mean, I definitely get nervous playing shows, but I've never had that same vibe as when I got to get up in front of everybody and talk and, and give a class or whatever and, and do stuff like more official stuff. Right. It is fun. And it's like, yo, man, like I really like, I want to do this and this is cool. And the other stuff, it's like, uh, whatever, this is lame. This is work. So. Right. Right. You're, you're a unit, right? No, that makes sense where it's like, you know, all the attention. Yeah. You can, uh, spread it across four or five people on stage as opposed to just you. Yeah, probably subconsciously that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. And so as you started to, you know, like get out there and play shows and like like you said, you've always been really interested in, you know, including people and, you know, trying to make um, other people understand your enthusiasm for the things that you were into. It always felt like with Die Hard Youth that like you did travel with that same intention of like, you know, the Tehachapi crew or whatever. And like, you know, and I use the word crew, obviously very lightly, not like the, you know, DMS crew or whatever, but definitely we're not rolling hard. No, (laughs) definitely not. Um, 
and so it, it kind of was it, it was really interesting because I, I found it uh, very compelling that you were like attempting to put this, uh, you know, city that obviously is not known for uh, much besides like you're talking about, you know, wind farming or prisons or whatever and be like, oh, yeah, like there is a, uh, you know, a small but vibrant scene here um, because, you know, the, this handful of kids cares about it so much. Um, did you... I, I, was that a, a byproduct of just kind of like you wanting to do that and kind of take that out there more widely? Or was that just something that was like, well, it just happened because, you know, we started to try to include as many people as possible. Yeah. I think part of it was, I, like I said, with the, with, with hanging out with the OI and, and the other, those dudes, the first, my, my buddies that got me into hardcore. By this time, when I started the band, they had all pretty much, either moved away to college or we're, we're doing stuff. And, and, but, uh, when we first started doing show, going to shows together, we would drive, you know, we'd, the showcase San Diego, uh, all over and then come back. So like the thought of just driving three hours to a show, watching a show and driving three hours home was like, yeah, why not? You know, like, Oh, but it's worth, it was worth it to see that band, you know, like, so, um, that was, that was always there. And I was always down to just like take kids and, and Hey man, and, I think it was a perfect storm of like enough kids that got into this through. I mean, everyone kind of gives me credit for a lot of this, but like if Terrence and, and Dave and, and Eric, the guys from Die Hard, weren't in high school and had a bunch of friends who were like, yo, what are you doing? You're doing a band? Like, oh, cool. I'm going to come check it out. And they could drive and they brought two of their friends, you know, like that definitely just having a bunch of kids being able to drive to shows in Bakersfield. And we did a bunch of house shows at first, just like we'd play wherever, you know, we'd play, oh, the, your church is doing this little thing for the youth group. Like, Oh, we'll come play it, dude. Like the bowling alley is having bands play like, okay, well, cool. We'll go play it. You know? So I think just being the only thing in town for a while really, uh, got people pumped up and, and maybe my, my just like, uh, enthusiasm for hardcore and just wanting everyone to be like, yo, this is something you should do. It's cool. There's like all these different, you know, I, I was never really straight edge, but like, I definitely think it's cool for kids to do that especially in high school, you know, like you should, every kid should be straight edge until they're 21, you know, like you don't need to do that right. stuff. Um, <laughs> right. So I just thought like, yeah, man, like this is a cool thing for everyone to do. And, and I think just, and once we started driving to shows and stuff and, and playing shows and, and like, Hey, we're going to go to this show. You can come in my van with me or, you know, that we caravan everywhere. And, and then it was, by then it was like, and I think that the, the crew part of it really, I mean, sucked people in you know like the, the sense of belonging like yo i'm down with the, the diehard youth crew you know like we didn't never claim that and like but like we'd give shout outs like in our, in our liner notes like to the diehard youth crew and let's like name everybody you know like there's like 20 dudes or you know and girls that like were in the, the thanks notes as the diehard youth crew and i thought that like i think that that probably people were like oh man i'm part of that like i gotta stick with it you know like where if you're just kind of on the outside looking in, like you can, you can come and go. But once you're like, like you're, they were part of the band, you know, and uh, are the, the movement whatever you want to call it, the crew. So that really sucked people in and got them real. Like they bought into it super, super hard. Yeah. And that's what made Tashby like was, was blowing up for a little, you know, like there's a good probably six, seven years where, you know, bands would want to play to Hatchapi, you know, right. Bane, Bane would come and play the local, dance center you know american nightmare like these bands were like you could play bakersfield which is a much bigger town at a legit venue or play tashby and there's definitely going to be at least these 50 kids and then there's nothing else to do in town 
So these other kids are going to come out and then kids from LA, you know, that's how I met Joey and, and Nick and, 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 uh, Brandon and that, that crew and all the Oxnard guys. And, uh, I mean, you, for that fact, you know, like just yeah. doing these shows and people are like, Oh, I want to play Tashby. Like that's a cool little scene and <clears throat> kids really appreciated all bands, you know? So, and I think, you know, I think you hit that, you know, the nail on the head in regards to, you know, some of the, and I'm sure you can attest to this too. Some of the best shows that you can play are the, you know, not the made quote unquote major markets. It's the ones where it's just like, Oh dude, Bloomington, Indiana or whatever. Like it's because you have that mixture of a solid enough scene of kids that are going to show up to the show that are, you know, like steeped in it. Like, you know, they, they pay attention to every demo and seven inch release. And then you have the kids who are just looking for something to do on a Friday or Saturday night. And then when you combine both of those things, the kids that don't really know about the stuff, look at the kids that are stoked on <laughs> this yeah. and are kind of like, Oh wow. And like it, it effect. totally, totally. And I think, it, and, and especially too, I think what's important and different from what, you know, you and you know, the rest of, of the, uh, the quote unquote crew did is the fact that you took it outside of your city and you were, you know, again, kind of trying to spread that enthusiasm and bring people in that like, Oh no, this is actually a place for like you said, bands to play and things to happen. And I, I I think that is really special because, you know, those local scenes can exist, but it's when you take it outside of it and probably try to bring people in is where it can kind of grow and obviously foster. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and, and I think another thing that made it, I mean, super easy is too, is the meeting all the, the, well, for sure, Joey and, and his crew. And then, uh, cause those guys would come like every show we played, they drive out and it's like, Oh, we got all these friends in LA now. And then all the guys from Oxnard that we met, you know, Zach and Albert and Ryan, all those guys rolled to shows too. So like <clears throat> there'd be every show we'd go to, Hey, we're going to go to the, we're going to the PCH tonight. I'd load up my van. I just knew like, okay, there's Joey and then we're going to be there. Right. And then Zach and then we're going to be there, you know? And then it's like, Oh, you know, you start meeting these other like, Oh, and so there's the San Diego dudes now. And like, you just all wanted to hang out with everybody. You know, it's like everyone kind of, it reminds me of like that movie, the warriors when like they walk down the street and they all like meet at that big, like uh, it's like a stadium, but like, that's kind of how it felt because every crew like had a different look to, you know, like the guys from, from like San Diego were definitely, you know, like a little bit like older and had like their more, uh, you know, the, the unbroken kind of vibe, you know, maybe some polo shirts. And then the Oxnard dudes were like surfer dudes and the Tashby guys were like, who knows what we were like. Cause half the kids there, you know, they're wearing flannels and, whatever you know like it was just a cool meeting of these four groups and then everyone just like hung out and made friends you know and like i think that 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 also was a big part of encouraging kid more kids to go out of town and to shows to go see their friends that they knew from other towns that were going to be at the show that they're going to be at yep oh absolutely yeah yeah i i, I really like that picture <laughs> painted of the yeah you got the uh the baseball furies and <laughs> everybody yeah, coming yeah. together with the warriors yeah no i told yeah that's really special and i mean you did a fair share of touring with uh you know diehard youth and then obviously the band you did after that with or without you um you know for as uh because you guys never took it quote unquote seriously in regards to like the career aspect of a band like you know i mean you guys pushed and did what you could but it wasn't you know that was not the overall focus um was it, uh, you know, I, I guess, did you like enjoy touring and that aspect of it? Or was it one of those things that you realized the, um, 
the implications of you being gone for, you know, a long period of time, not only professionally, but, you know, personally with your relationships and stuff like that. How did it kind of transpire for you? Yeah, I, I liked, um, I mean, I liked playing shows and uh, I never really wanted to do a full U.S. in a van. And I know people like will say whatever, but, um, uh, and, and at that time I couldn't, I was still in, a lot of the time for the first part of the Die Hard, I was still in the Air Force. Like I can only get certain amount of time off anyway. So that's when we would, we'd go up to Seattle or we'd fly back East and, uh, hook up with somebody and, you know, do a, you know, a week, 10 day thing and then come back. Um, I really enjoyed it, but there's definitely like, just even from doing some of those things, you're like, man, I don't know if I could handle being in a van for three to six weeks. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Then I would have done it if, if the opportunity came up maybe, um, but I would definitely not do it now, but I, I do like just going and playing shows in other towns. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the anxiety of like, well, is there anyone, anyone know who we are? You know, like, you, you know, hitting the East coast and being like our first East coast show ever was the house show in like DC. And it was like, dude, no one's going to care that we're here, you know? And then, yeah, it was, it was small as a house show, but it ended up being awesome. Like people came out, you know, Dave bird was there. Like we, we already knew him from coming out to California and, and stuff. And like, Oh, cool. Our friends here, like at least one dude we know. And then by the time the show's over, we got 10 new friends and, you know, people liked us and stuff and, and, and oh, I'm going to go to the show tomorrow night, you know? So like, it's definitely, it was definitely awesome. Um, we never got to go to Europe with Die Hard and, or with or without you. Um, so that's definitely something I'd like to do someday with, with the band, but, uh, um, yeah, I kind of like to do a little bit of touring here and there now with once, uh, if that ever happens again, but yeah, I don't think I was built to be on the road for, six weeks, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's good that you recognize that of yourself because sometimes people, um, don't. And then once they start to experience it, like, you know, they really do some, some harm to themselves because it's like, Oh, I, I, you know, like, cause I think there is that, uh, that pressure that like, once you kind of commit to that, you feel like you're going to let the rest of your bandmates down because you're like, Oh dude, like, they're having fun and um, you know, they're experiencing all these things and like, yes, I'm experiencing alongside of them, but like, I don't feel the same way as them. And then there, there gets that real, real, um, you know, negative self-talk that can happen to people who frankly, are just like you said, aren't kind of built for touring. Yeah. And I, I yeah. And I see enough of it. I, I did some, I did some uh, roadie work with the warriors and a couple of little tours, you know, uh, drove some kind of hate around when they're out here. Um, and, you know, and that, those were always more like vacations for me, but I saw those dudes who had, you know, Hey, we're coming back to California on this, like leg of this six week tour. You want to jump in the van with us and be our roadie? Like, Oh yeah, cool. I'll do it. You know? And, 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 uh, I can see how burned out they all were on each other. Like, you know, I've been, I'm been the fresh dude in the van and they're like, Oh dude, that guy's annoying me so bad right now. And like, you know, I laugh about it cause I'm like, yeah, right, yeah. It's funny. You know, cause I'm just, I'm just having fun. It's not, not my job and not my band you know and so i gotta see a lot of what you're saying yeah we're like and dudes were just like and that's why dudes burn out and you know quit halfway through a tour and they gotta fly home and they gotta fly someone out to replace them and i get all that but uh, yes i've seen it but i I don't want to ever experience that (laughs) right 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 um and and i guess kind of you know uh because of that the uh 
you, you know, like, I mean, putting out records and like working with record labels and like the business side of the band, you know, and I use that maybe in air quotes or whatever. Um, were you, cause it always kind of by default seems to fall on the singer. Um, you know, were you, I, I guess, comfortable with that or is that just like, Oh, you know, like, I mean, it's cool. I know we need to get, you know, paid a hundred dollars for the show because we agreed to it or whatever. But, uh, was it something that you enjoyed or was it just kind of like, well, we need to do this because that's kind of how a band operates. Yeah, I think with 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 the, with the Die Hard and, and with or without you, I definitely was just I was the older dude, and and it kind of like I was the I guess I was the boss. I don't know, like yeah, I was the one who booked the shows, booked the tours. Uh, yeah, so I'm the one who would go handle the money, you know. And, and yeah, and when we were talking to record labels, talk to all of them, and and I look back at that, and I I, I probably should have been more inclusive with the the dudes. It was kind of like, hey, here's what we're doing. And they're like, okay, cool. And like, I mean, and I, I do know that they'd probably be like, yo, I didn't want to do that. And Andy was doing it. So it was cool. But like, like with the band now, like everything we do is like, Hey man, like, is this cool with you guys? What do you guys think? Like, there's a lot more, um, you know, uh, everyone's got to vote and stuff where with, with those other bands it was kind of like, even if they would have been like, oh, I don't want to put out a record with that label. And like, well, too bad we're doing it. Like, you know, like, and I, I was kind of like maybe a jerk like that a little bit when it came to that, but also like they'll also probably tell you like they weren't going to do it. So I just handled it. Right. <laughs> sure. It was just like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess this like the, uh, the idea we're like, I will, of course we got to record a demo. Of course we got to record a seven inch. Like, of course I got to be the person that's booking the shows or whatever. Not like unwillingly, but just like, well, yeah, someone needs to do it. So I guess I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's basically, and, and, I, and from day one with Dyer, I just pushed it hard. That's why like we, I knew if I could figure out a way to book shows like at Jerry's pizza and, and Tatchby and stuff like, well, if I'm booking a show, my band gets to play, which I wanted to play every night of the week. You know, I, I just wanted to play all the time. I was having fun with my friends and meeting new people and just doing the hardcore thing. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to book shows. That's why I book shows at Ojai and, and, you know, Pat's warehouse and stuff made friends with all those guys. Like, Hey man, can I book this show? I knew like if I got these bands and I booked bands that I wanted to play with, you know, like, and then, eventually like at Jerry's, you know, I was kind of like the dude, Matt Pike, Hey dude, this tour's coming through. You want to help me get the show going here? And it wasn't like he needed my help too much, but just like, at least he had, you know, a, a man on the ground or whatever. And so I got a lot of like hookups from that, you know, or, or not hookups, but just like was able to learn a lot and, you know, be the one that I'm booking shows and doing stuff and taking the initiative, like then things are going to get done. And I'm going to, I'm going to be able to do what I want to, do as far as the band goes yeah well i i think you really do you feel like you unlock something when you are that person that's like oh yeah like i'm booking shows at this local venue and like oh yeah i i could put my own band on there and like that's totally fine like no one's gonna be bummed at that and that, that's cool yeah i'm sure some people are always like oh man your band and, and, and there right. became a time where i was like man dire doesn't want i don't want to play every week you know like every every show now <laughs> But yeah. I still wanted to book shows for bands coming through, you know. So, and that's when it was cool. Like, you know, the Warriors started playing, and there's another band from Tatchby, and and or I could talk to, you know, hey man, you know, whatever it takes from Oxnard. Like, you know, you do like kind of like because the control was already big, and like they couldn't play every show, but like there's bands I could kind of like, oh, if Die Hard can't play, these bands will play, and they'll, you know, all the Tatchby kids are still going to go. I'm going to go. We're still going to go and like have this cool show for these bands from out of town. So, right, I think that that was ended up being. You know, pretty cool. 
Yeah. Well, and plus the concept of uh, overplaying uh, during the late 90s, early 2000s, that didn't really exist. You just played as many shows as possible. Not like, wait a minute, is this a good idea to play seven shows in a month at the same venue? Probably not. (laughs) And honestly, I didn't care, you know, like, yeah. And I kind of, the way I thought of it too, is like, well, dude, if In Control plays every night of the week, I'm going to go to every show I can, you know, like (laughs) I'm going to drive from you know, San Diego to Santa Cruz in one night for something stupid so that I can be at both shows, you know? So yeah, why wouldn't you? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Now I can't do that. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, like we were talking about earlier in regards to, you know, uh, your path of being a firefighter, um, you know, that, uh, where you're at now, um, you know, in regards to, cause I mean, you've been a firefighter for, you know, over 20 years, correct? Yeah. Through the Air Force and my county job now. Right. And um that's uh, you know, that that's obviously a large commitment and you know, that that's what you always wanted to do, obviously, because of your father and everything like that. Um, you know, do you do has your uh, I guess uh, evolution of, you know, your opinion of your job, like has it changed or has it always been pretty consistent where it's just like, oh, I mean, I know everybody ebbs and flows uh with their enjoyment of their job. And sometimes it's more fulfilling than others, but, um, you know, how's your relationship been with that? Because, you know, that's clearly a, uh, you know, important role in society. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely uh, the way I look at it now. I mean, definitely different than when I first, um, got hired, I guess. Um, yeah, now I'm definitely, when you first got hired, you know, you're, you're new and in every emergency, uh, you know, it's an adrenaline rush and it still is going into the burning building, whatever, it's still a adrenaline rush. But in back then I, you know, you get done or you, you, you know, you try to save someone's life, CPR, you're doing all this stuff and it's, it's high stress, high, you know, uh, adrenaline. Um, and back then it was kind of like, almost like I, 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 I wanted it to happen. If that makes sense. Uh, not that I wanted people to die or get hurt, but it, you know, like, Oh, I want to be busy at work. So I, I was at a busy station where he ran a lot of calls and now I'm kind of, I, I'm on a station close to home. Um, and I still, you know, if someone's, if we go on a structure fire, it's still exciting and gets that drill and rush. But I do know now I'm like, man, that was fun for me, you know, for a little bit. And I, and I, I say that with a kind of a cringe on my face that like, I don't want people to think it's fun that their house burnt down, but that's the job I chose. And, and, um, uh, what we do, you know? So, uh, you know, but I do know the ramifications now. I'm like, man, well that person, you know, and that hits me real fast now. Like, so if I never have to go another structure fire or do CPR again in my life, I'd be fine with that. Right. Because, uh, you know, I know, Hey man, that person's house burned up and yes, the per, no one died, which is the main thing, you know, but, uh, yeah, their stuff's gone, dude. Like there's, yeah. I mean, people will say, Oh, it's just stuff and it is stuff, but it's their stuff. And it's pictures. It's, a knickknacks that their kids made them or their grandma left them, you know? Um, and so I, I realized that a lot more. So that definitely changes my view on like work. You know, I mean, I, I like to be at work and do stuff and be busy. And, but I do definitely uh, catch the ramifications of what we do. It hits me a lot faster now. And it's kind of like the, so it's not like when I was young and real like excited about everything. Like, Oh man, we had like two structure fires in one night and we didn't even sleep and stuff. And we were, going here and there and doing all this stuff and you know you're covered in gore or you see all this crazy stuff and you talk about it and now it's kind of like yeah man like 
that that side of it is still there, but it, it fades away like pretty quick to where it's like, man, that, you know, that was somebody's mom or daughter or, or son or, and, and so that's kind of, my view has definitely changed. Sure. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you have perspective now and it's, yeah. it's right. It's leveled to where it's like your, your focus isn't obviously just on yourself and your own feelings. You're then your, your empathy bleeds out now because you have perspective. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. And, and the, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that you know, you still, uh, you still care a lot. I mean, you play in ill communication and when I say care, like you care about hardcore and it's, it's, it's obviously a part of you. Um, and that's not indicative of most people, you know, like what most people reach a certain age and like, you know, it still may be important to them, but like, they don't need to do all the things that, you know, you do from, um, you know, being so (laughs) active still in regards to supporting bands, playing in bands and like doing all this, uh, and I guess this is an over uh, oversimplified question, but just like what still, uh, I, I, why do you still care about it? What keeps you connected to it? Is it just like that's that's who you are, and that's what it's always going to be, or is there uh, you know another motivating motivating factor? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I think about this this kind of stuff, and I think it's um, it, it's the people, man. I mean, just the the friendships. Um, there's a, there was a few years where like I was coaching high school soccer here. Uh, my job was crazy trying to promote, um, or I just promoted to captain. Um, you know, I two young kids and, and, and I was doing all stuff. So I kind of like, I still listen to hardcore music, but I didn't, I mean like I missed the whole era of like 2006 to 2012 where like I listened to the music, but I wasn't checking out new bands and stuff. And, um, I kind of didn't really, uh, wasn't talking to, you know, I'd see dudes, I'd go, Oh, so-and-so band's playing. I'd go check it out. But very, my, my involvement was way low. And, um, with basically like with the social media and kind of, I mean, this sounds stupid because people always, Oh, I don't like social media, but with social media kind of getting bigger, I was able to, to start, Hey man, I'm going to see what like, you know, Chris Williams is up to, or, you know, Lance from faded gray. Like I'm just going to start reaching out even you, you know, like I just want to, these dudes are doing cool things and I want to, you know, reach out and just say, Hey man, like, thank you for what you did and kind of reestablish a friendship. Cause I'm a pretty like loyal dude. And so like, I got people that I'm loyal to that are, you know, friends that people are like, why are you still friends with that guy? Like he did this and this. And it's like, well, man, like, I don't know. Like that's just kind of the person I am. And so when it comes to hardcore, like, <coughs> excuse me, all the dudes that I've met, you know, that, that I'm able to like, uh, reconnect with mostly through social media. And now I talk with a lot more of them, but, uh, was a big factor of like, really like, man, like this is a cool thing to be part of. You can meet these people that are genuinely good people. And, and you have this common bond, whether it's, you know, it might not be the, the style of music, but it's the, the ethos of, of the hardcore. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're like into, super melio band or a super like fast punk band like everyone we're kind of all have the same groundwork and we're all if you're if you if you say that you're into hardcore like i i assume you're probably more than likely you got a pretty good person so right and, and that might be that might be my 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 uh you know i might be you know a fault of mine that i just go oh cool like you're into hardcore like let's talk and this person might be a total you know scumbag which there's definitely scumbags in hardcore we all know about that but um and I, I do think that like just the friends I made from Tashby, like I still talk to 
Donnie and Marshall and Morgan and these dudes like every day. Like we have a we have a chat and we talk every day. It's been over, you know. And I met those guys, even though they're from Tashby. I wouldn't have met them if it wasn't for music. So some of my best friends have been made through this, and so it's easy to to stay pumped on it and stay like, you know, uh, I guess involved to some extent. Like I'm not booking shows or anything anymore or doing that, but we we do still do a band and the dudes in the band like Roger and Joe and I've been friends with for 20 plus years. And you know that those friendships, I think is what keeps it, keeps me pumped on it. And right. Keeps me like, you know, I guess it keeps the fire burning. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, you, I think you're correct where it's like when you're, you know, relationships take work, like, I mean, especially as you get older and all of your, um, you know, your obligations spread yourself around, uh, to a lot of different things from, you know, family, job, et cetera, et cetera. But like when you're, putting into relationships and when you're putting into, you know, something that's important to you, like you're, you know, that, that work will pay dividends because then like you said, you'll still be connected and you'll still care about it. So yeah, it's, it's rad. I'm just, I'm glad you're stoked because obviously in turn, it makes people like me stoked and, you know, hopefully it'll bleed down to other people. <laughs> yeah. And for real, it's like, you know, like even in your podcast for a super long time and that's, I, whatever, when I run and I go and jog all the time and I listen to podcasts and yours is one of the ones because at the time it was like for years, it's been the only one that was hardcore related to me that I knew about, you know? And then, so I've been listening to it forever. And then, you know, Zach does his 185 miles South, you know, which is an awesome podcast. And that acts to grind is cool. Like I think those podcasts too, like yours have definitely helped me and probably other people like definitely during quarantine be like, yo, I'm going to like check this out. And like, and then you start getting getting the fever again, you know, for hardcore. And like, they're talking about this band or this dude, like, oh, you know, you interviewed, you know, uh, the dude from, from Be Well, Brian McTinner and I say his name, you know, and it's like, oh, dude, I'm going to check that dude's band out. And like, oh, this band's awesome. You know, like, right, 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 you, right. You kind of like, it's, it's almost like back in the day when you'd read the, the liner notes and be like, what, what bands are, I, are they thinking? Like now it's like, who are these podcasts talking about? Like, oh, cool. Like, I and, <laughs> yeah, and then, totally. I, I think that that, the podcast stuff that you guys are doing is awesome and definitely keeps I mean deserves more credit than I mean maybe gets a lot of credit I don't know I'm kind of out of the loop but definitely deserves a lot gets a lot of credit for me for keeping me involved and keeping me on the in the know of like what's going on and who's doing what like you know new band wise and stuff so yeah very, very cool yeah no for sure well Andy thank you so much for hanging out dude I really appreciate it I know we've uh, talked about this for a while but um, yeah I, I appreciate you walking me through all your uh, your 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 experiences oh thanks for having me man it's awesome to I wish we could have done it in person but uh, yep someday we'll, we'll hang out and uh, <laughs> absolutely kind of out, we'll have to go to Del Taco or do something like that <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy, for coming on the show. Uh, he's been a longtime supporter of this podcast, so I love when I can do the full circle thing and uh, you know have listeners of the show uh, that I feel are important and have a good story to tell to come on the show. So that's what we did with Andy. Next week, it's a big one for me. Uh, I, I know I say, <laughs> I feel like I say it all the time, but I really am getting to a point where the people that I approach to have on the show are you know really important to me. And uh, Jay Laughlin who played in Turning Point, played in Godspeed, currently plays in a band called Honey. 
Turning Point and Godspeed are huge bands for me. They really opened up my world in regards to the way that hardcore can exist, the way that you know emo can exist. I just I love it. And Jay was kind enough to come on the show, uh, you know, to promote the fact that uh, Turning Point has a lot of their stuff that's being reissued by Revelation, which is exciting. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to have Jay on because he is the true definition of a lifer. This dude creates music under any circumstance, regardless of what's happening in his life. So. That's what we got next week. Jay is on the show, and I can't believe I can say Jay from Turning Point is on my show. (laughs) So anyways, that's what we got. As I always tell you, please be safe, everybody, and I mean that in the truest sense of the term.